We just thank you tonight for your love and um, Father for the men and women who have recently for different reasons um, departed from the foundry. We just pray over these brothers and sisters. Father we thank you for the progress that they have made in their walk with you, the things that they've learned, the eternal word of God, the seed um, of, of your very personality and nature, Father, that's been planted within them. I thank you, Father, that seed will continue to be watered, it will continue to grow, it will continue to develop and produce the fruit of the kingdom in their lives. And so, Father, I thank you that none of this changes these men's and women's destiny, Lord, none of this changes what you have purposed for them. And we just pray, Father, that, um, that uh, whatever setback this may be to them, Lord, that they would uh, just continue to move forward. And, Father, we pray this strategically, even believing that some of those men and women will be listening uh, to this on the Internet or by CD. And so uh, we want them to know that we love them and are praying for them, and, and no one um, is judging or condemning them in any way. And we believe the best, Father, for their lives, and we agree together for the fulfillment of their destiny. Now, Father, I pray over this time together this evening. I thank you for those that are here. Lord, I know that um, uh, it, it's, uh, among other things, uh, endurance, Lord, in these classes and enduring sound doctrine and having uh, your truth layered into our hearts and lives, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept. We thank you for helping us bring our hearts to attention, Father. We thank you for the energy and the um, excitement that's associated with the new year uh, on the calendar. And so, Father, we commit ourselves afresh and anew to you and to your purposes for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, let's go... Um, just hold off. I'll tell you where to turn in just a moment. I, I want to kind of just wade off into this for a moment uh, to um, just a little bit of review. Where we left off, and we're covering the last of uh, mankind being the legal authority on planet Earth. We're answering the question, what is man? We said that, number one, man is a God-class being. Number two, man is a spirit being. Then number three, man is the legal authority on planet Earth. We looked at the difference between legal authority or a delegated type of authority uh, versus the authority of ownership. And so certainly God owns the earth, He created the earth, it belongs to Him, everything in it, including you and me, um, we belong to Him. But we also see where the scriptures speak of, of God turning over uh, dominion, rulership uh, to, um, to, this, to this world, for this world to you and me. And so that we said the best way to understand that is like a lease agreement, a property that's been leased, owned by someone else but least to another. So when we say legal authority, that's what we mean by that. It's important for us to understand um, how that looks and how that functions. Uh, obviously, it's something Satan never wants us to understand. He wants us to believe that whatever happens on this earth is God's will, and whatever God wills happens. But as we looked at for almost two hours last Wednesday night, that's simply not the case. Um, I, uh, I preached a, a message on Sunday morning, and uh, the title of that message is, It Depends. And um, the, you know, the simple point uh, of that is, and, and in the message we mentioned, that uh, um, you know, the two answers we, we didn't care to hear when we were young, um, when we asked our parents you know, uh, a question or permission, was um, because I said so. Uh, that was never an answer I, I wanted to hear. And I never wanted to hear, it depends. Um, but it depends. And what kind of year we have this year, really and truly, um, it depends upon us. I'm not saying that, that God is, is not a factor. He is. But God is a constant factor. Um, what really depends uh, is our response to Him. 
And so we finished up last week looking at the passage in James 1 where the Bible identifies that there is no variableness with God, um, but that we hold, or you hold, I hold, all the variables for my life and for your life. Amen. And so how we respond uh, is so critically important, even when it comes to what other people do and, and things that other people say and do, choices other people make, people close to us, that certainly affects us. And we were talking about that a little bit before uh, class this evening. But what we can control is how we respond, even when someone wrongs us. And I think if you understand that, you're in a better position. The whole backdrop of mankind being legal authority on planet Earth, um, you're in a better position to understand what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount when he said to bless those who curse you, to pray for those who spitefully use you, to do good to those who are not necessarily being good to you. Uh, if someone takes your coat, give them your sweater. And, you know, turn the other cheek. That whole, uh, you know, part of Jesus' teaching and instruction to us. And I know on the surface it's like, yeah, over my dead body, you know, it, it, it was, we want to rise up and defend ourselves and stand for our own rights and, 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 and these kinds of things. But, you know, again, what Jesus is saying here, uh, he's saying a lot of things, but if, if we miss this part, I think we missed one of the most important parts. And that is, how do we respond to evil? How are we going to respond to someone uh, speaking evil to, you know, negatively to us or, or what have you? And so what we do control and what we do have control over is our response. And of course, um, if we will learn to respond in love, um, even, you know, love is an act of our will, agape love. Uh, we may not have warm, fond, affectionate feelings for that individual, but when we respond to them, in that way, we're taking the high road, amen, and, um, and our lives are going to be blessed. Um, I believe if we have that, if we have that attitude, um, you, will, you will always have more coats and sweaters than you know what to do with. You, you see what I'm saying? In other words, the, the idea, of course, is if someone is so, you know, separated from God and His ways that they're stealing your coat and sweater, and you're connected to God who has the coats and sweaters on a thousand hills. If he's got the cattle on a thousand hills, he's got coats and sweaters on a thousand hills. So you have access to all the coats and sweaters you'll ever need. It's, that's the whole kind of the, the point, of, lots of points to tithing. That's one of the points to tithing. You know, when you, when you give God 10% of your increase, you're saying, among other things, <laughs> I'm not worried about ever having enough, God. You're the source of every good thing in my life. And um, so I freely give you 10% of it because you're the source of 100% of it and, and whatever else is coming my way in the future will be from you. So again, variables, um, we hold them. And how we, uh, you know, play those variables, how we handle those variables in every aspect of our lives um, has so much to do with, with the, the outcomes, the end results uh, that we experience. Life is choice driven. Life is choice driven. I want you to think about that statement for a moment. Life is choice driven. In other words, life is not static. Life is not stationary. Life is moving. Your life is moving. My life is moving. And the direction and the speed in which it's moving is determined by the choices that we make. So life is choice-driven. So it's just another way to say the choices, the variables, um, uh, you know, directly affecting our lives. Sometimes we talk about these things, and almost if we're not careful, it becomes like something abstract. It's like some principle. But again, as we have tried throughout our time together, is I want you to connect with these things on a personal level. So look at... Um, I don't want you to do it in a negative sense, but just look back over the last six months, nine months, whatever of your life at the right decisions, positive decisions that you've made 
and, and, and where you are today because of those decisions. Um, the Lord gave uh, Pam, my wife, a word uh, a little over a year ago as we were coming into 2017. And the simple word was that choices would be made in 2017 that would affect the next 10 years, um, the next 10 years of our life. So, so choices, and that ties in with what we looked at, right? In that case, in the, in the Bible, it was choices that were made that affected 40 years out, okay? So, again, it all comes back to the variables. And so, um, I've, rarely do I talk to someone who comes to the foundry that didn't feel pressured to not come. Uh, but, amen, uh, when he loses that battle, when the enemy loses that battle, and, and we go ahead, you know, we had the variable, right? We had the choice. Um, and uh, when we made the choice to come, you know, look at where we are now, and um, I'm not saying that God wouldn't have been there to help us, you know, had we not come, but, you know, I don't know if you would be as far along this evening as you are had you not made that choice. Are you following what I'm saying here? Okay, so don't you want to know what kind of life is on the other side of that wall you keep hitting, right? That just keeps jumping up in my spirit this year, so amen. Now, um, we talked a little bit about the, uh, the will of God and how His will is beneficial, well-pleasing, and all-encompassing, but it's something that must be sought out and it's something that must be submitted to. All right, now, let's do this. Turn with me to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. And we're going to look at just one verse here. Verse number 19. I'm sorry, I'm sorry chapter 19, verse number 6. Chapter 19, verse number 6. Amen. I wanted to kind of get this uh, rolling tonight to decide whether or not we were going to tackle this. And we're going to tackle it, okay? And um, as is the case with everything that we talk about in here, uh, you search it out for yourself, you pray about it, um, and, uh, and if you disagree, that's fine, okay? And if you would like to talk with me about it later, you certainly uh, feel welcome to, okay? I, um, again, I'm not trying to be controversial, uh, but you know, when you dig and you dig and you dig, eventually you come to bedrock, and that's what we're looking for. The Bible says that the man who heard these sayings of Jesus and followed them was like a man who dug deep and built his house on the rock, okay? So the idea that, you know, the digging deep means that there were layers of things that had to be moved out of the way in order to get to a firm foundation that would support the kind of life that God created and intended for him and for you and me to live. Are you following what I'm saying here? So, in other words, there's a lot of tradition, there's a lot of legalism, there's, there's a lot of... Um, you know, just religion and religion in general, uh, you know, philosophies, ideas of men, what have you, that um, if, if you're ever going to get to the truth, you're going to have to dig through some of that stuff. Uh, amen. It just accumulates over time. That's, you know, uh, you understand what I mean by that. Like, you know, over time, leaves rot and stuff washes, and, and uh, it's just a steady accumulation of things over time. And that's what you have to dig through, um, the topsoil, you know, to get to, um, the bedrock. And so this is another one of those things. Now, as is the case with a lot of disagreements in the body of Christ, um, it, it, it's, it has to do with terminology. Uh, for instance, there are major denominations that exist because of a difference in the meaning or an interpretation of the word sanctification. Right? So, you know, tomato, tomato, whatever, you know. So, in other words, what one group means by sanctification, another group means something else, and another group means something else. So listen very carefully then to the definitions, all right? So Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 says this, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, 
as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. All right? So the word that we're focusing in on is the word omnipotent. Okay? And that word omni means all, and that word potent means powerful. So God, and it's one of the characteristics of God, is that God is omnipotent, or God is all-powerful. Okay? Now, so far so good. In other words, you, you could preach that message in uh, just about any church in America, and, and uh, I'm talking about Christian church, and folks would amen you or at least um, not get too uh, you know, irritated or agitated at you. So here's the point. Are you ready? Man's legal authority on planet Earth. Right? And the point is this. God is not sovereign. He is omnipotent. God is not sovereign. He is omnipotent. One more time. God is not sovereign. He is omnipotent. So a lot of times when people say God is sovereign, in their minds what they're thinking and what they're saying is He's omnipotent. They're just using the wrong word. Right? So if you believe God is sovereign, but sovereign to you means omnipotent, then me and you are all right. You just need to do a little research as to what the words mean. Okay? Because when you understand what omnipotent means, and when you understand what sovereign means, you see that they're not the same. That one who is omnipotent, all-powerful, has rule and authority over someone or some entity that would be considered sovereign. All right? Now, how many times do you think the word sovereign is used in the King James Version of the Bible? Not a single time. It's not in there once in the King James Version, the New King James Version, and many, many more translations. I think NIV and some of those different ones um, has the word sovereign in it. But again, if you go to the original language, that word sovereign is, is a poor choice. Okay, And that's where I think uh, culture influences and religious traditions um, influence. Now, again, I'm not trying to be uh, controversial, but there, there is a reason for this, and it has to do with who God is, who we are, and who we are in relationship to who He is. Okay? You follow me? So, we need to correct our thinking in this area. Most people who say God is sovereign know and perhaps mean omnipotent when they use the word. But sovereign speaks of someone who exercises, are you ready? Supreme authority in a limited sphere. Supreme authority in a limited sphere. This is why God is not sovereign. God is omnipotent. In other words, His supreme authority is not limited to one area or one sphere. The idea behind sphere, um, and that, that word actually came up in sermon preparation today, and it's used a lot by, by uh, commentators, it's used a lot in, in, in biblical lexicons and dictionaries. And to be honest with you, I don't care for it. <laughs> but, the, but you understand sphere is, am I the only one that thinks that's a cumbersome word? But the idea behind sphere is, for instance, this room could be considered a sphere. It's, it's, a, it's a, a specific territory, a specific area. Okay. So again, sovereign means someone or speaks of someone who exercises supreme authority in a limited sphere. A sovereign nation, for instance, would be a classic example of this. So the United States of America is a sovereign nation. North Korea is a sovereign nation. As a sovereign nation, North Korea 
is doing some things and developing some things right now that we as a sovereign nation would prefer that they not do, as well as many other of the nations uh, on planet Earth. So when we talk about uh, sovereignty, uh, autonomy then is a key factor in determining sovereignty. So the idea behind autonomy is that, that a person or a nation that is, or a business, a company that is sovereign means they, they are autonomous. They have the right or the ability. Am I boring you with this? This is important, right? It's the right or the ability to self-govern. The right or the ability to self-govern. So why are we doing this? Well, we're closing out this section that we've been establishing what is man. Man is legal authority on planet Earth. So the reality of it is this. God is omnipotent and you are a sovereign. In other words, you can choose to live your life separate from Him. You can choose to go your own way. You can choose to self-govern because God created you with that sovereign ability. But God is omnipotent. Are you understand what I'm saying? In other words, there's going to come a day when every person who's refused Him and rejected Him is going to bow their knee to Him. There's coming a day when every person has bla that's blasphemed Him in the, in the whole course of humanity, the history of humankind on planet Earth, is going to confess out of their mouths that He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Amen. Because He's omnipotent. Alright? So, again, why are we picking this fight? Well, because a lot of times when you hear people who don't understand the authority that we have been given by God on planet Earth, uh, people who don't understand that, they will throw out the phrase, God is sovereign, and it becomes this blanket statement that once again means to them, God does whatever He wants. Are you following what I'm saying? So like, for instance, you know, things happen every day on planet Earth that are not God's will, but people who don't understand that who do believe that everything that happens is God's will, they often look at these things because they don't understand them. They throw out a blanket statement like this. Well, brother, God is sovereign. You know, kind of shake their jowls when they say it. You understand what I'm saying here? And so it just becomes this blanket statement. So the reality is, first of all, He is much more than sovereign. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's not sovereign. You are sovereign. You can choose to self-govern. Now, God forbid that this ever happens, but let's, we won't even put it in the context of, of North Korea. Let's just talk about um, you know, when Adolf Hitler was in Germany. Germany was a sovereign nation. France was a sovereign nation. Poland was a sovereign nation. Okay? But one sovereign nation decided they were going to overtake other sovereign nations and make them their own. Right? So, so what do we have? We had a fight called World War II where different sovereigns were trying to overthrow and, and overtake one another. So certainly we, we see that, all right? But the idea, please hear me, is that God is not going to have to come down here, you know, with tanks and guns and try to take back this earth one day. Are you understand what I'm saying? Because he's all-powerful, uh, what is it, with the, the breath of his nostrils? <laughs> Amen. All sovereignty is going to bow to his omnipotence. Amen? Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this. Let's, I want you to look at that verse, so let's go, because a lot of people don't believe the Bible says this, and I want you to see it. Amen. 
Yes, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Okay, so um, rarely do I endorse books. And it's not because um, I don't read books or listen to books. I love books. Um, but I just don't mention it a lot because sometimes there's stuff in books that, amen, you know, controversial. I'm not trying to, you know, steer you wrong or something like that. But um, Mere Christianity is a tough read by C.S. Lewis, okay? Amen or oh me. It's, it's a tough read. If you have a chance at some point, I'm about halfway through it, listening to it, audible listening to it, and the purpose behind or what became mere Christianity um, is actually the British government invited C.S. Lewis, a layman, to uh, get on radio during the early days of World War II and explain Christianity to the nation. Because England, a Christian nation, had drifted from God. And there were people even who called themselves Christians who didn't even know what Christianity was. And so the reason he calls it mere Christianity is he begins by saying, I'm not coming to you as a Catholic or as a Presbyterian or as an Episcopalian. I'm coming to you to explain to you mere Christianity. Just simple Christianity. Okay? Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? So, um, in, in it's, I mean, it's still, it's, it requires a lot of thinking. I was telling this to the class on Sunday morning, and, and they kind of looked at me like, well, thinking, you mean no pictures in the books, you know, kind of laughing at me. But it does require some thought. But one of the things that he explains in that book is that the, the origin of, of the devil or evil began as something good that God created that chose to go its own way. And that he came to this earth, Satan came to this earth as, as a rebel, rebelling against an omnipotent God, right? And we see that Jesus came to this earth to regain control, first and foremost, of you and me, so that we could then regain control of this planet in his name. Amen. All right, now, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ... I'm reading from the King James Version. Lest, what does it say in the New King James? Or what do you have? Well, um, okay. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Alright, I'm not exactly sure why that's in the King James Version right there. But anyway... The, um, let me see what it says here. Uh, so, um, from the New King James, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Um, translated age, that's the difference, I'm sorry. Verse number 4 in the New King James is age. Verse, uh, in, in verse number 4 in the King James Version Age is God of this world. God of this world. So, quick detour. Um, we have uh, A-E-O-N or C-O-S-M-O-S. -O -S. Um, both of these words um, are Greek transliterations that are translated into our English word world. Okay? Now, if you look closely at this word or try to pronounce it, you'll find out what we get out of this in English. And that's eons eons so 
He's talking about the cosmos being the planet itself. Okay? So when it says he's the God of this world, it's not a mistranslation, but the New King James further clarifies the God of this age of this world. In other words, this world tonight is not as it will always be. It's not as it has always been, and it is not as it will always be. We are in an age, uh, a dispensation, a period of time, an epoch, amen, on planet Earth that will one day change. New heavens, new earth coming down out of heaven to the earth, amen? All right, but notice that he says during this season, during this age here on planet Earth, who's the God of this world? Satan is the God of this world, lowercase g-o-d. What you got, brother? And so one of the beautiful, beautiful note on that. And here's, here's, I think, the classic way to understand that. You say, well, if he's defeated, how does he still have power? Well, Saddam Hussein had power until all the people that he derived that power from were separated from him, right? Then he was hiding in a hole in the ground. So he derived his power from the people that he ruled over with an iron fist, basically hijacking from them, right, the wealth and all that came with that. So in the same way, Satan derives his power not from God. He derives it from all the people that he deceives into following him and doing his business, his bidding, if you will, on planet Earth. Does that make sense? Now, again, the point I'm trying to get you to see here is that Satan is is a lowercase g, but Satan is the god of this world. Satan is the god of this world. We have authority over him because we're seated above him in heavenly places. Right? We're not just beneath him on planet Earth. He's the prince of the power of the air. Remember the three heavens, right? So we're here on earth, but we're also seated above him, far above all principality, power, might, right, and dominion in heavenly places. So we're on the earth, but we're also in heaven seated above him because we're in this world, not of it. Am I going too fast for you? Okay. So, and that's what the next verse we have, I have in my notes, John 17, 15 and 16, where Jesus prays for us. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So Satan's God of this world, but I'm not of this world. He's not the God of me, because I'm not of this world. Are you following this? I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. I'm of a world that Satan is not God over. Amen. Bill Winston says it this way, and I know it's a controversial statement. He says, God's not running the world, God's running the church. God's running the church. Amen. And the church is supposed to be doing what? <laughs> Running the world. Amen. Praise God. So we are, again, the body of Christ, that cooperative effort. All right, are you good? <laughs> I haven't offended you, have I? So you say, well, Pastor, you know, why are you just going to talk about this sovereign, omnipotent stuff? Because I think we need, we need to get this straight. We need to understand um, who God is and, uh, and who we are. And um, we, we can be autonomous if we choose. Uh, but I, again, uh, offer my autonomy uh, to my Creator uh, to humble myself before Him and serve Him. All right, let's, uh, let's go to some new stuff. Does that sound good? So what is man? Number one, man is a God-class being. Number two, man is a spirit being. Number three, man is legal authority on planet Earth. 
Number four, what is man? Man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. Man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. And of course, we see this in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 26, 27, and 28. All right? Now, we have talked about, from time to time, over the last, what, 19 plus classes, we've referred back to Genesis 1, we've referred back to this truth, this reality, um, that we are created and have been created in the image and likeness of God. As a matter of fact, we looked at those verses when we looked at Number one, man is a God-class being and how God created us. Now, we're coming back around to this now because we want to look at some specifics. We want to we kind of get down to the life level, the street level, the nitty-gritty, if you will, of life and understand this truth um, as it pertains to the way your life unfolds before you on a moment-by-moment basis. So when we say that, Man is um, a being created in the image and likeness of God. Uh, what we've already covered is that we were created by God to look like Him. Um, we have two eyes, two ears, one nose, one mouth, because God has two eyes, one nose, one mouth, and two ears. Okay? Um, we have two hands with five fingers, four fingers and a thumb, if you will, on both. God is a being who has two hands, four fingers, and uh, two, a thumb on both, okay? <laughs> he has legs, he has feet, he has a hip, <laughs> he has backside. Moses saw it, okay? So we were created, you know, to resemble him, to, to, to favor him, to look like him. Amen. But image and likeness doesn't just mean that we resemble or look like him. It also means that we were created to function the way he functions, now, I'm really tempted to go back to God-class being because, remember, God didn't consult us on this and we didn't demand He do it this way. Um, God decided this. And He decided this because He created us to have intimate fellowship with Him. He created us to be one with Him. He created us to be a part of Him. He created us to share His life with us and us to share our lives with Him, so forth and so on. So, um, we used the comparison of my little puppy and he hung out with me today and we had a good time and... Uh, but still, it's not the same kind of fellowship that I have with my son um, because he's not of the same class of being. My puppy is not the same class of being as, as, as I am, as my son is, okay? So God created us um, in his image, in his likeness, to function the way he functions so that we could function together, so that we could work together, so we could co-labor together, so that we could be uh, uh, of his bone and of his flesh, so that we could be one with him, all right? So... We talked about this already in, in the God class being part, but this is where I want to take this now as we move forward. Because we were created by God in the image and likeness of God, we possess certain characteristics and abilities that exist nowhere else in creation. All right? Now, there's a tendency, and I've already talked to the Lord about it amen, this afternoon, okay? There is a tendency... For me, us, if we're not careful, to get bogged down here. Um, like, you know, like bogged down to Easter here. And I'm not going to do that, all right? But I'm, I'm telling you that, number one, because I'm, I'm declaring a thing and the Lord's going to help me establish it. We're going to move through these things quicker than we have in years past. 
But I don't want you to uh, underestimate um, the simplicity of what we're about to talk about. Um, have you ever heard the expression hiding in plain sight? Hiding in plain sight. And a great deal of the frustration that we experience in life and in trying to change our lives uh, has to do with a, a failure to understand and ignorance um, in, the areas, uh, in the area of the things that we're going to begin to talk about tonight. Okay, And so when we talk about these characteristics and abilities, um, let, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump way ahead and we'll come back, but for instance, one of the most powerful ones, I don't know if we'll get to it tonight, I hope we do, but if, if not, we'll get to it next week. One of the most powerful characteristic and ability that we have is our ability to speak. Okay? It's our ability to talk. And the Bible says that death and life hinges on the words that come out of your mouth. The Bible says that the words that come out of your mouth chart the course that your life will follow. In other words, the, we have this characteristic, this ability to speak. And it is tremendous in its influence and impact and effect upon our life and our life reality. Very few people understand it. Very few people uh, know uh, about this. Uh, understand that, that, that because what is man being created in the image and likeness of God, that we possess certain abilities, certain characteristics that exist nowhere else in creation. No, remember, none comparable to Adam. When, when it was time to find Adam a spouse, none comparable on planet Earth. Nobody else had the same level of intelligence, the same uh, characteristics and abilities. Uh, the only other place that anything was even uh, close to what Adam had and was, was in heaven, and his name is God. Okay, So these characteristics that we're going to be talking about, and we'll work our way through, not an extensive, not an exhaustive list, um, but we're going to look at some of the most important ones. Um, these characteristics and abilities are very powerful and have tremendous impact on life in general. I'm just about life, period. But our lives in particular. And trust me on this one, just like everything else, our ignorance is Satan's advantage. The Bible says when we don't understand how the devil um, works and the devices and strategies that he uses against us, 2 Corinthians 2.11, it gives him an advantage over us. So our ignorance in these things becomes Satan's advantage. Now, before we start looking at these things uh, on an individual basis, I want to talk a little bit about them collectively. And the two things, and, and again, these are big words, I'm not trying to bore you tonight, but all of these characteristics are both dynamic, and I'll give you, I'll give you some definitions on these, they're dynamic and interactive. All right. So what I mean by that is we're going to talk about them one by one by one, but they all work together, um, which compounds their effectiveness, which compounds the impact and influence they have on life in general and your life in particular. Now when we talk about something dynamic, that's the opposite of something that is stationary or static. Dynamic means <coughs> that there's... <coughs> <clears throat> excuse me, that there's activity. It's, amen. 
I don't want to give you, like, it's a long definition. The main thing I want you to know about, or you need to understand about dynamic, is we're talking about something that is constant activity, is constant progress. And in this application, progress can be in a positive direction or progress can be in a negative direction, right? The idea behind something that's dynamic, by definition, it's something that stimulates change or progress within a system. It stimulates change or progress within a system. Now, why is this important? Well, again, I, I'm, I'm getting overexcited. I need to settle myself down here. But because these things are dynamic, because these things do stimulate progress, either positive or negative, then the good news for you and me, back to variables, these are things that we can change. These are things that we can alter. These are things that we can modify. These are things that we can adjust within the system that is our life, that, that, that within the system and the operation of the system that is your life, amen, and it will directly impact either favorably for the good, positively, or negatively for the bad, um, depending on which way um, we uh, go with these things, so to speak. Last phrase in this kind of lengthy definition of dynamic is an underlying cause of change. An underlying cause of change. Now, when I, the Lord first started showing me this, <coughs> excuse me, let me get a drink of water here. When he first started showing me this many years ago, that one phrase is the one that almost immediately jumped out at me. Because again, if it's an underlying cause of change, and change seems to be so elusive, change seems to be so hard to come by, and I'm not talking about coins in your pocket, I'm talking about change in your life, transformation in your life, then here we're talking about things that are an underlying cause. Underlying mean, meaning not readily recognizable, not, not readily noticeable. See, again, <laughs> I might as well just close this book and talk about the words of our mouth. I keep getting drawn back to it. But your ability to speak. Do you realize that James says that if you can learn to control what comes out of your mouth, you can control your whole body? It's an underlying cause of change. See, self-control, reckon that's important. I can certainly tell you it's important in my life, and I can certainly use some more of it. But notice he says that if we can control the tongue, then that is the master key to self-control, to controlling the whole being, spirit, soul, and body. Emotions, all of this, every aspect of your being, every dimension of your being can be controlled, can, can be uh, affected by the words, by words. See, you, you hear this kind of stuff, and it sounds like some late-night infomercial. It sounds like somebody trying to sell you some kind of program or membership to something. Um, some people dismiss it as, oh, that sounds like name it and claim it, and blab it and grab it, and all this, you know, that people try to mischaracterize, misrepresent these things. And that's the devil's work, because I'm telling you, the devil never wants you to understand. And we're just talking about one characteristic here that you possess. He never wants you to understand how powerful these things are. But I guarantee you that when we talk about the words of your mouth, they are a part of a dynamic uh, process or system. And the words that you speak stimulate change or progress within the system that is your life. 
And it is an underlying cause of change either for the, for the better or for the worse. For the better or for the worse. Change what you're saying, you can change your life. Now, we, as we get into that, if I keep going, we don't have to get into it, you'll already have everything, but the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, it's impossible to change what's coming out of your mouth until you change what's in your heart in abundance. You follow what I'm saying? But if you can get something different going on on the inside of you, then something different will start to come out of you, and that is a major factor, underlying cause of change in your life. Right? Amen. Amen. Think of how many times we shoot our own selves in the foot with the words. We speak death, we speak negativity, we, we speak failure, um, we speak diminished capacity um, over ourselves, over our families, over our loved ones. Man, please, see, God created you in His image and likeness. Does, does God's words have power? The words that He speaks change things. <laughs> and the words that you speak can change things as well. See, when our hearts are filled with negativity, when our hearts are filled uh, with fear, when our hearts are filled with regret and shame and guilt and condemnation, if you squeeze ketchup, ketchup's coming out, right? If ketchup, you squeeze a ketchup bottle, ketchup's coming out. Praise God, I didn't say that right. And if that's what's in you, when the world presses you, that's what's going to come out of you. All right, so we said dynamic and interactive. So, interactive is speaking of two or more things working together, influencing and affecting one another. So, each of these in their own right are powerful. But, yes ma'am, each, they're powerful in their own right, but when they work together. So, interactive is speaking of two or more things working together, influencing and affecting one another. So, think of like you interacting with another person. Think of um, you've got something really heavy to carry and somebody coming and interacting with you and grabbing the other end of it. So the idea is that now two people interacting together are affecting one another, all right? So that's, again, I know it's hard. That's why I want to just go ahead and mention one of these things. But as we go through these different characteristics, you'll start to see how one affects the other, affects the other, and affects the other. So they're dynamic and they're interactive. So that's back to the expression, hiding in plain sight, you know, the things that, you know, people, I don't understand what's wrong with me. I don't understand why nothing ever changes in my life. I don't understand what I need to do better or different. Well, you know, again, it's these characteristics that, that we all possess that we don't really understand um, the, the effect that they have. So misunderstood and used improperly, these characteristics and abilities lead to bondage, curses, and death. Understood and used properly, these characteristics lead to freedom, blessing, and life. Now, last thing and we'll start working our way through the list. This is perhaps even more than anything else we've talked about. This is, I think I used some words a while ago, street level where your life's unfolding, that kind of thing. Um, this is what you are. You understand what I mean? Like for instance, I'll, I'll give you the first, I'll come back and repeat it, but I just want to finish this thought. What is man a being created in the image and likeness of God? So if, if you were outlining this, that would kind of like be up here. Then you just drop down, you know, indent one uh, tab. Uh, 
man is a being with the ability to reason, form opinions, and make choices. I'll come back to this. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to show you that we have that ability because God has that ability. Now, what Satan is trying to do is manipulate and use that ability against you. He's trying to, do we have the ability to make choices? Good choices, bad choices. So Satan is trying to influence, he can't make you do anything. But he's trying to manipulate circumstances, situations, other people, the way things seem, the way things look, the way things feel. That's the enemy's business. He's trying to blind you and confuse you and, and get you into fear and regret and selfishness. You can't make good decisions with bad information. So he's trying to keep you from ever knowing the truth and ever seeing uh, that God is for you and, and the plans that he has for your life. Because as much as he can limit you in that area, the choices that you make are, are that much easier for him to influence. So when we say, what is man, and why is it so important for us to understand it's because ultimately Satan uses what you are against you and for his purposes, not just to hurt and affect negatively your life, but to hurt and affect negatively the lives of other people. Okay? Is this, is this making sense? All right, so what are these characteristics that we're talking about? And again, if you're, if you're looking for something that's going to be like earth-shattering you've never heard or seen before, you didn't hear what I said a while ago about hiding in plain sight. All these things are like, oh, okay, is that all that you got, Pastor Mark? Is that all? No, no, don't do that. Don't take that nonchalant kind of, uh, you know, this isn't that big of a deal attitude. Because I'm telling you these things, and that's one, that's one, uh, one of the parts that I'm going to strive for, if nothing else, when we go through these, is to show you from the Word of God how powerful these things are. Right? So, what are these Characteristics and abilities. Number one, man is a being with the ability to reason, form opinions, and make choices. We could simplify that and say that we have the ability to think for ourselves. We have the ability to make up our own minds. We have the ability to make our own choices. Reason, form opinions, and then make choices. Sometimes we make choices without thinking. A lot of times, man, we really, really, really spend a lot of time thinking through our choices and still make a bad one. <laughs> Am I the only one? <laughs> it's like, dude, you know, I could, I could understand it if I just flew off the handle and made that decision without thinking, but I put some time and effort into this one and still made the bad choice, right? Okay, so the ability to reason form opinions, and make choices. I've said it different ways over the years, and I know that sounds like almost three instead of one, but the idea, of course, is back to we have the ability to think for ourselves. We, we have the ability to make up our own minds. <laughs> you know, I mean... God is certainly trying to influence. God is certainly trying to speak. He's certainly trying to show us the course that we need to go, the direction that we need to take. But we can hear and know all of that and still choose to do something else. I believe more than anything we were created with this ability because if we had no choice, then how could we ever genuinely love God? 
If someone is forced to love you, then that's not true love. For there to be true love, there has to be a choice. And so God created us with that choice. So how powerful is your ability to think for yourself? Proverbs 23 and 7 says this, As you think in your heart, so are you. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Okay? So, again, that is, uh, we used the term all-encompassing last week, speaking of the will of God. Um, there is no area of your life that is exempt from the influence of your thinking. Every area of your life is affected positively or negatively by the way that you think. Amen. So, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So many times we have this idea that if our behavior is not hurting anyone but ourselves, then it's okay. We've got the right to harm ourselves. We've got the right to do whatever, you know, that may not be in our best interest, but as long as we're not affecting or hurting anybody else. But then, again, that's bogus because it's impossible for what you do to not affect other people. But I think where there's even maybe spoken or unspoken uh, ever, in other words, I don't know if we ever like have had this exact thought, but subconsciously, that's the word I'm, subtly or subconsciously, it's like, well, you know, what I think about is my own business, and, and uh, you know, as long as I don't act on these things, or, or what have you. That's what Jesus was trying to, to help us see when he said, if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her in his heart, he's already had, he's already committed adultery with her, and nobody ever took their clothes off. So again, Jesus just laid that, you know, uh, uh, argument um, aside, set it aside, uh, because what you think about, what goes on in your heart and mind, um, is extremely important. Now, let's go to uh, Luke, the 8th chapter. Luke, chapter 8. <coughs> Luke, chapter 8, and um, verse 18. Are you comfortable? It's, I, I'm fine. It's, I'm, I always get warm when I preach and teach, but I just want to make sure you're comfortable. So we can... Okay, just getting warmed up. Good deal. Me too. Amen. All right. Luke chapter 8, and um, we could probably read a lot of verses here. Let's just read verse number um, 18. Luke 8 and 18. And um, Jesus says this, Therefore... Take heed how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. Now, this last part, I know it seems somewhat confusing. Um, the message translation, don't look at it now, but make yourself a note, look at it later. The message translation here, even better so in Matthew 13, um, really breaks this verse down because ultimately what he's talking about an individual having is a willing heart. And if you have a willing heart, then what you've received from God, not only will you retain that, but you will continue to grow in that. But if you do not have a willing heart, keep in mind these people were in Jesus' presence hearing him speak face to face with them. Um, if they did not have a willing heart, what he had given to them would be taken from them. 
And if you remember in Matthew 13, it says that when someone doesn't understand the word, that Satan comes immediately, what? And steals it from them, takes it from them, right? Now, I didn't ask you to turn to this verse for the last part of it. I wanted you to look at the first part of it. And that is, he says, take heed how you hear. If you underline things in your Bible, um, you might want to somehow highlight that word, how, how. Um, I had read this uh, many times and had never really paid attention that the word doesn't say what you hear, but it says how you hear, okay? Now, don't misunderstand me. Um, What you hear, what you listen to, is very important. And certainly the Bible makes that case, and I'm not going to have to, I think, you know, dig out a bunch of scriptures to prove that to you. What we listen to, what we hear, the content of, of what we feed ourselves, uh, um, you know, is, is tremendously important. Uh, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Amen? Okay. But in this particular case, Jesus changed it, and he did so strategically. And he said, take heed, be careful, beware, how you hear. How you hear. Now, what he's talking about here is attitude. What he's talking about here is the way you process information um, coming into your life. Okay, um, I'm sure we probably all got situations in our lives where we were on the receiving end and the giving end of this. And what I mean by that is where somebody said something to you that you received as offensive, but they meant no offense. In other words, you heard it in a way that you thought they were taking a jab at you or are somehow trying to undercut you, and that was absolutely positively not their intention. In other words, you heard it um, wrong or wrongly. Now, so the idea then is we all have a filter We all have a filter through which things pass when we hear them. You put coffee in the coffee machine maker, you pour clear water in the top, it passes through the grounds of the filter and it lands as something entirely different in the pot below. Okay? So many times we have those kinds of filters that become how we hear what we hear. So, for instance, if if you were raised in a very strict, legalistic home. Let's just go back to something we covered tonight. If, um, if your grandmama started telling you when you were five years old, God is sovereign, you know, now all of a sudden this dude gets up in front of you and says God's not sovereign, well, again, you, that, could, that could be received very offensively. You, I trust you. There's been a lot of folks who have taken issue with that over the years. So, again, it's how you hear something, the filter through which you're listening. Now, why... What does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, your ability to reason, your ability to form opinions, your ability to make choices, your ability to think for yourself, this is what comprises, this is is the filter that we're talking about through which, if we're not careful, the pure Word of God coming into our lives will pass through that filter and land in our hearts as something entirely different than what God said and what God intended. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Amen. 
I know sometimes we just go with the verse, but go ahead and turn there if, if you'd like. And um, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 13 uh, is referred to as the love chapter, rightfully so. Um, but man, th- there's some other things that are spoken of here in this chapter um, other than this beautiful, elaborate, detailed definition of what love really is. And so let's begin in verse number 11. It says this, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Okay? When I was a child, I spoke like a child, talked like one. Why did he talk talk like a child? He talked like a child because he understood like a child. Why did he understand like a child? He understood like a child because he thought like a child. Because if you think like a child, you're going you're to understand things the way a child understands them. And if you understand things the way a child understands them, then what comes back out of your mouth based upon what you think and what you understand is going to be childish, immature uh, words. Yes, brother. Sure. Amen. Well, <clears throat> yeah. Absolutely. And and again, I I try to be gentle when I mention these things, but you know, one of the collateral effects of addiction is that when you go back to the age that you entered into addiction, um, a lot of times that's where the maturing process either stopped altogether or was slowed and hindered in our lives. Because the way we, let's use the emotional maturity, the way we mature emotionally is by dealing with things that affect us emotionally. Okay, So, um, in other words, it, it, it's by experience. Uh, character is, is developed, you know, not in the classroom, but by real life, real time experience. And so what happens, and again, guys, don't be offended at this, it's, it's a bigger factor for men than it is for women. And I don't exactly know why that is. I think one of the reasons is because women tend to mature more quickly um, than men do anyway. Amen. No offense, I love everybody, okay? Nothing but love. I'm shooting out love both sides, okay? Um, <clears throat> but what's well, true? Is it not true, guys? It, well, there you go. I mean, you know, I mean, Heather's going to take that shot, you know, but that's true. And, and so um, I'm a man and I'm saying that, I, I, you know, I have a son and a daughter and I'm saying that. OK, um, that and if you're the exception, then God bless you. I believe you are. OK, I believe you are. I'm not I don't say that sarcastically because there are exceptions. All right. Um, so when we, you know, compensate for stress, cope with stress by using then it, it, you know, the stress is what helps us develop. And so when we avoid that, um, you know, taking the pressures and dealing with them in a healthy way, what have you, it, um, I'm not offending all you guys getting up on this, am I? <laughs> They're like, I'm out of here. I'm through with this class, Pastor Mark. You know, I'm just, I'm sorry about it. 
Absolutely. So, and, and the Bible says that, and the Bible says He'll restore the years that we lost and that were wasted, and, and that's what's happening in your life and everybody else's life in here, uh, myself included. He's making up for the, the time that we lost and the things that we were diverted down other pathways. But again, brother, you, you've, you've learned to deal with disappointment, frustration, things not working out the way you wanted them to um, in a healthy way um, with God in your life first place in your life and all of that is growing and developing and, and catching up you know amen that's just the beauty of only God can do that I mean only God can do that um, so um, I know that it doesn't say this specifically but if someone thinks like a child understands like a child talks like a child how do you think they behave <laughs> in other words, you see what I'm saying in other words, it would be impossible for someone to think, understand, uh, speak like a child, but behave and live like an adult. Just, it just doesn't happen. Yes, Peyton? Can you imagine that? Behavior lining up with what we think, how we understand, and uh, what we say. Um, don't turn there, but let me just remind you again, we've, we've looked at it a couple times, we're probably not done with it, um, but remember Galatians 4, after he gets through in three chapters establishing that um, we are heirs, descendants, put on Christ. Um, he then says, Now I say to you that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a slave, though he be Lord or master of all. So spiritually, you know, uh, uh, dominion, spiritually ruling and reigning in our spirit. But that definition of one who is a child differs nothing from a slave, though he be Lord of all. The child is one who is ignorant, doesn't know, immature, not developed. The third one is unable to speak on his or her own behalf. So again, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, because I'm putting the because in there, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, what we see then is that our thoughts become the raw materials from which our understanding is formed. In other words, understanding is developed through thoughts and thinking. So when Jesus says, be careful how you hear, you know, let's go back to what we said a moment ago where we take something that somebody says the wrong way. It's because you didn't understand them. You, you didn't under, and I don't just mean you didn't understand what they said, but you didn't understand the heart from which they were saying it. Have you noticed that the more secure we become, the less offended we get, right? Because we're not so touchy, we're not so defensive anymore. We're becoming secure in who we are in Christ. And so what's happening then is this, this defensive filter that we, we let everything pass through. And <clears throat> have you ever had somebody like that, somebody really insecure in your life, friend, family, whatever, and it's like you, you can't even have a conversation with them. 
Because it's like everything that you say to them, they take some kind of offense. That's not, that's not a problem with what they're hearing. It's the problem is with how they're hearing it. How they're hearing it. Now, do I even need to go down this road for a minute? Our whole life, eternity, and existence depends upon our ability to correctly hear from God and respond to Him. So do you see why the enemy is trying to manipulate our manipulates <laughs> is trying to mean, manipulate our thinking, our opinions, our understanding, right? Because in in affecting that and influencing that, how we hear things and our ability to hear things correctly and receive um, is greatly uh, undermined and, and compromised. <coughs> Amen. All right. So Jesus, remember, he kept praying for his disciples. What? Eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to be able to receive and comprehend and process the things that he was saying. Now, Satan can influence your life to the extent he can influence your thinking. Just that simple. Because as you think, so are you. And so, again, Satan can influence your life to the extent he can influence your thinking. Now, you cannot change behavior or emotions without changing your thinking. We will get into this more when we get into spirit, soul, and body. But the part of you that is your soul, the part of you that thinks, and the part of you that feels, and the part of you that makes choices. That's your soul. Mind, emotions, and will. While all three of those are, you know, characteristics of your soul, the lead dog is your thinking. Your thinking, more than anything else in your life, determines your emotions. And it's your emotions more than anything else in your life that determines your choices. Right? So, again, how powerful is this characteristic? You can be a blood-bought child of God, son or daughter of God, as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus Himself. With the same power residing in you that raised Jesus from the dead. But if you still think like somebody who doesn't know God, if you still think like somebody who's addicted or somebody who's a failure or what have you, then that's the kind of life reality you're going to have, completely in contradiction to who you really are. So Satan can influence your life to the extent he can influence your thinking. Your behavior will always line up with your thinking. Your emotions will always be a reflection of your thinking. Lasting life change involves more than changing one's mind, but it is impossible without it. It's impossible without it. You will never experience the life transformation that Jesus paid such a high price for us to have unless your mind begins to be renewed to this reality of the born-again spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, in addition to 
your thoughts being the building blocks, the raw materials from which your understanding is formed, your thoughts are also the raw materials and the building blocks from which your beliefs are formed. Your beliefs are formed. So, what is man? Man, we said, um, <coughs> I do not know what's got me coughing, and I apologize. I won't apologize again. I'll be done with it. How about that? All right. So, number one, we said man is uh, a being with the ability to reason, form opinions, and make choices. Number two, man is a being with the ability to believe. You have the ability to believe. Okay? Again, hiding in plain sight. Your ability to believe. See, we, we have this tendency to take these things for granted because they're so much a part of the way we function on planet Earth. In a very basic, simple um, uh, expression of your ability to believe, um, we see uh, each of you sitting in a chair tonight. And you may not have looked at that chair to decide whether or not you believed it would support you. Um, if you're as big as me, uh, you, uh, amen, you may take a look at some, amen. But, um, but the idea is <clears throat> you sat down as an act of belief, believing that that chair would hold you up, all right? So we have been created in the image and likeness of a God who has the ability to believe, and we have that same ability ourselves. So again, dynamic and interactive. The interactive part is thoughts are the raw materials and building blocks from which your beliefs are formed. Not just your understanding, but also your beliefs. Now, let's get this part out of the way from the very beginning. How powerful, how much influence and impact, how effective is our ability to believe? Well, how about this? Jesus said this in Mark chapter 9, verse 23. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Wow. You think about that right there, what Jesus just said. You hear Jesus saying this or a version of this statement after things like raising somebody from the dead, after cursing a fig tree, after having cursed the fig tree, said, if you believe, you can not just curse the fig tree, but you can command for it to be jerked up from its roots. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? All things are... In other words, it wasn't just that Jesus was exaggerating to try and stretch them, because remember, he would say these things after having done something similar himself. And they would be standing back just in awe and in amazement of him. And almost without fail, he would turn it right back to them and say, look, you can do this too if you can believe. It's been said only one person ever walked on water. That is not true. Peter walked on water. He walked on water. And as long as he was focused on Jesus... He was walking on the water the same way Jesus was walking on water, by faith. The Bible says when he saw the wind, he took his eyes off of Jesus, he got his eyes on the circumstances and the situations that were all around him, and that's when he began to sink. 
He didn't begin to sink. Focus changed. Thoughts changed. Down he went. All right? So, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. There's not an obstacle on planet earth that you can't overcome by faith. Everything in this created realm is subject to the word of God. And because it's subject to the Word of God, your faith in the Word of God can change anything in this created realm. It can stop foul weather patterns. It can change growth patterns. It, it can bring healing. It, again, I'm not here to just dig in all that, but literally all things are possible. Same Holy Spirit that anointed and empowered Jesus now dwells within you and me. Absolutely. Right? 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So again, if you can believe all things are possible, nothing shall be impossible to him who believes. Now he says that faith, those who believe in Jesus, this is how we overcome, this is our victory over everything that's in the world. I got a little excited on that last passage, I apologize. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Amen. Now, um, let's go to Romans 10. Romans chapter 10. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. More than anything, I just want you to be familiar with these verses. I mean, I could have told you what it says, but I want you to see them. Look them up in your Bible. I know some of you are marking stuff in your Bibles tonight. <clears throat> these are some absolute cornerstone verses. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. And this is how it reads. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Alright? Now, why is this important? Well, obviously, it's instructing us some important truth about salvation and about receiving salvation. But notice that the salvation that we've all received was received by you, by me, through what? Believing in my heart and confessing with my mouth. That became the mechanism. That became the, the instrument, instrumentality, the means, if you will, by which we receive salvation. Believing in one's heart and then confessing from one's mouth. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says we walk by faith, not by sight. And then one of my favorites... 1 Corinthians 13, 13. 
Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love, no longer fear of regret, and selfishness. All right? Now, <clears throat> it's, it's kind of like um, Brother Keith's in the Ephesians class, and so I think some of you have been there before with the Ephesians class. We, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians since the late 70s, early 80s. No, I'm kidding. It's been a long time. And the reason for that is every verse we come to, I'm not saying we study it out throughout the entire Bible, but we come close. So you can, through the book of Ephesians, you can study all the main doctrines of the Bible. And so we go through it sometimes word by word. Now, when we're talking about faith and believing, you understand how that creates a platform for us to basically talk about anything and teach on anything in the Bible that, that we would want to teach on. And that's what I mean sometimes we get bogged down here. Um, I love to teach on faith. We, we're, we're teaching on faith in the, in the Wednesday evening services. Um, and, and particularly enduring in faith has kind of been the underlying theme of those messages. And so there, is, there are so many things, there are so many different branches that we could follow from this point right here. Um, I'm going to begin with this one. I don't know how many more we'll take, all right? But I want to show you tonight, and this might be one of the best ways, I want to show you tonight how the characteristic that you possess, what we're calling your ability to believe, how Satan uses that ability against you. Okay? Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. Fear is your ability to believe working against you. Fear is your ability to believe working against you. Okay, so fear is real. I mean, I, again, I'm, I'm not recommending it, but I'm just telling you. Um, fear is a very real thing. It's a very real force. And if we're not careful, can, can become a very real factor in our lives. Perhaps one of the greatest negative influences over our choices um, more than anything else is fear. It's fear. So fear, again, is your ability to believe working against you. Now, let's explain this. If you have a fear of snakes, and I just, you know, that's just the easy one to go to, okay? Fear of heights, whatever. Let's just... Let's just go with the fear of snakes, okay? If you have a fear of snakes, you have that fear because you believe, you follow me, that the snake can hurt you. Y'all are falling right into my trap. So do I, I said they're proving my point. 
because there are a whole bunch of folks who are afraid of spiders and snakes that cannot hurt them. Camel crickets won't hurt you, sister. Green snakes won't hurt you, sister. Granddaddy long legs won't hurt you, sister. Most snakes won't hurt you. But if we believe they will, we will jump on top of a chair and scream like little girls even if we're grown men because we believe that they can hurt us. The thought of it Come on, y'all are helping me. Sure. It's because you believe in gravity. Right? Amen. It's a good thing. Fear is your ability to believe working against you. And it's Satan is ultimately, remember what we said, it's him manipulating things. It's, it's, it's back to the thinking and the thoughts. Um, have, all right, let's, let's, let's step aside from an abstract, or I don't know if that's abstract or not. Let's step aside from that, and let's step over into what I call designer fear. By, by designer fear, it's when we create all these words for fear other than calling it what it really is. Okay? Anxiety. <laughs> Worry. See, we live in a world today where, you know, it believes that if a mother's not worrying about her kids, she's not doing her job. What is worry? We, it's fear. But it's fear of the unknown. It's fear of what might happen. And how much of what we worry about never happens. And yet we continue to worry in spite of so much of what we worry about never coming to pass. Again, we're believing something may happen. And that fear torments us. It is tiring. It's draining. It's emotionally draining. It's mentally draining. It can be physically draining. Absolutely. It's Absolutely it's blinding. Absolutely, it's blinding. So go back to it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to show you to... Look, praise God. Let me see what all we got here. Um, go ahead, brother, please.
Alright? So, <clears throat> who decides what I think? I do. I decide what I think. Now, the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. Not just a liar, he's the father of lies. He tries to impregnate you with his lies. But the Bible says that when he tries to manipulate your thoughts and thinking, it's your responsibility to bring those thoughts captive. You can't just let them run wild until there's conception, until you conceive of something, right? There's, let me, I'm not trying to get graphic, but um, the longer the seed lingers in the presence of the female egg, the higher the probability of conception. The longer we dwell on wrong thoughts and thinking from the enemy, the higher the probability of that becoming a part of or a factor in our understanding. And remember, thoughts become the raw materials and building blocks for our beliefs. Wrong beliefs didn't just like jump on us one night while we slept. They formed over time through thoughts and thinking. Yes? You follow what I'm saying? You think about something long enough, it becomes a factor in, in the way you understand and process information. And so there's all kinds of false beliefs, all kinds of things that people believe that are not true. That, again, it's, it, it built up and, and developed and formed. I even like to use the word forged like a blacksmith, hammered you know, in, into the psyche, in, into, the, into the way a, a, a man or a woman thinks. Now, let's... Thank you for putting yourself out there, Michael. So, what we've ultimately got to do is shift from a foundation of fear, regret, and selfishness over onto a foundation, the governing principles of faith, hope, and love. Now, if we never make the shift in our thinking, in other words, how can we effectively live a life of faith, hope, and love if we're allowing our minds to be consumed with negative thoughts and thinking? What if this? Oh my gosh, how am I going to deal with this? And the enemy will torment you with those things if you allow him. The reason the five weeks to go is causing this is because it was very easy Six months ago, for you to put all that out of your mind. They don't even know I'm here. <laughs> you know, so again, it wasn't a factor. But now we've got a deadline approaching, and the enemy's trying to take advantage of that to begin to torment you with those thoughts and thinking. You have to bring them captive by saying out of your mouth what the truth is. By praying over your wife and confessing out of your mouth, Father, thank you that a cell phone is a gift. You created a man who has the ability to dig from the earth the materials to create a cell phone. And I thank you that it's a gift and it will always be a gift to me and it will never be a curse in my life ever again. There you go. And so, and, and so again, you begin to say out of your mouth how it's going to be. You begin to chart the course. I know I just jumped ahead of you. But again, that's faith. That's how you release faith. That's how you activate these things. The devil will, and that's how you bring thoughts captive by saying the truth out of your mouth. Perfect, perfect joining in of another scripture, sister. Yes, absolutely. Where we cast the care, Satan wants us to bear the care of it in our minds. 
the weight of it in our minds is dragging us down. If we get that far tonight, Hebrews 12 says, you've got to lay aside every weight. There you go. It comes from inside of you. God gives you the gift of faith, the measure of faith. Faith by hearing, activated, released in your heart by the Word of God. His thoughts, what His Word says, is become what we set our minds upon. Amen. This is, this is what I call doing it, right? This is how we do it. This is how it works. This is, this is when I said nitty-gritty a while ago, rubber meets the road, life level, street level of your life. This, this is where we either rise or we fall on how we handle these variables. Listen, we're not dumb. We all know the devil's come for us before and he's going to come for us again. We know this. I'm not trying to scare you, but we got to know what to do. we got to be prepared. Right? Amen. And so, again, Michael, you are in position to change your whole family tree. You know what I'm saying? One of these days, I'm just going to prophesy, brother, you're going to have great-grandsons that talk about Paul, Paul, Michael. Right? Behind the pulpit. I had a great-grandfather who was willing to lay his life down for a year and go get the truth and help, and now he taught me these things, and I'm preaching them to thousands, right? That's, that's what needs to start coming out of your mouth, man. Not, oh my God, I get the phone, they're going to find me. Uh, oh, bills, what am I going to God supplies all of my needs according to His riches in glory. The devil is the original terrorist. And a terrorist uses fear to manipulate people's choices and actions. He does it to children. He begins when we're kids. Again, how do we get to be adults afraid of green snakes? When you're a kid, you can't, you know, your kid mama has to say, don't touch the snake, right? In other words, these things are ingrained into us. They're pounded into us by the world, by the enemy. And now we reach, you know, we, we, again, are you following what I'm saying here? This is, this is how we get these things. Remember when Adam went and hid from God? And God says, who told you you were naked, son? You didn't get that from me. God, it's the first time in human history. Mankind has a thought in his heart that didn't originate from God. God didn't tell him that. He came to that conclusion apart from God. Well, because fear gives place to the devil. That's the other thing. In the same way that your faith in what God says and your confessing of what God says produces those results, fear and believing and confessing what the enemy says is agreement with him. Come on, brother. Arrows. Fiery darts, and we quench them, right, with the shield of faith. Shield of faith. Arrows of fear. Shield of faith. Does anybody see that, right? Amen. Is this making any sense to you? And this is, again, this is the, you know, there's, there's so much of, of, of what we hear and know and talk about in church, you know, that's, but I'm telling you, man, this, this is the, this is the, this is it, man. Bread and butter, bare bones. 
learn this, get this, develop this. So fear is your ability to believe working against you. If you're afraid of a snake, it's because you believe the snake has the power to hurt you. If that is what you believe, it will be reflected in your actions, in your response to the snake, whether the snake has the power to hurt you or not. Right? There's a response. There's a response. Sister Betty, we're not going to handle snakes. I'm not giving you a pet snake. I'm not recommending you touch a snake. It's a, it's a, what do you call it? It's a metaphor. It's an, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a figure. It's, I'm trying to help you understand, right? I've seen people afraid of mushrooms. I've seen people afraid. In other words, if you believe something can hurt you, have, has, have you ever had or seen anybody have a ridiculous fear of something? Phobias, right? Do what? You've never been attacked by camel creek. I don't like them. I don't like them. But the, I'm, the bigger picture that I'm trying to get you to see is how belief is a factor in this. Are you, are you following me? I know I've got to quit. I'm out of time. That's what I'm trying to get you to see more than anything else. I don't like snakes. You know, uh, there's a guy that goes to our church. He says there's only two kinds of snakes, right? A chicken snake and a cobra. And unless it has a chicken in its mouth, it's a cobra. Right? That's his... That's his snake rule, okay? So, so, amen. Amen. That's in the book of Hezekiah, Sister Betty. So, um, amen. But the, the bigger picture I'm trying to get you to see, that's Lee Jones, by the way. I give him credit for it if it ever makes it into a book, all right? But the, the, the point that I'm trying to make is, don't miss, don't miss this, is, is that there is an element of believing behind the fear. Whether, like, again, fear can be fear, you know, this can hurt you, stay away from it. Either way, whether it's a, a constructive or a destructive fear, there's still an element of belief. Amen. And Satan tries to manipulate that because, again, it is a very powerful factor in our lives. Because, again, faith that works. True faith, there's a response. True faith, there's an action. Right? Paul, James said, rather, you know, if we truly love, it'll be reflected in the way we... We, if we truly believe and truly love, it'll be reflected in the way we respond to other people. If not, and then it's just words. And the same thing is, if, when we're truly afraid of something, there's, there's a response to it that is, is negative. And that's how Satan tries to manipulate us, through fear, through fear.
Amen. Amen. For me, it was, for me, it was, it was not steaks when I was little. It was dogs. Dogs, yeah. Two or three really mean dogs got after me and my brother. And, um, yeah, so, <clears throat> and I don't have anything for a mean dog right now, but, I, but I'm not, I mean, I'll kill it, but I'm not going to run from it. You understand what I'm saying? I, mean, I, I don't mean that ugly. That sounds like John Wayne or something, but you understand. Know I'm not, you know, but again, I, you know, it's, but. Has anybody in here been bit by a snake once, much less twice? Once? Twice? Once? Okay. Oh, I can be, yeah. Well, it's the enemy. I mean, I, uh, Sister, I, she's a spiritual lady. She knows there's something spiritual behind two of them biting her. Amen. Somebody get her some snake boots. <laughs> Still. All right. Good for you. Good for brother. Amen. Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for life and peace, for good things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I love you all. Thank you for being here.